Welcome to Mayus Church. My name is Nathan. It's good to see you here. I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, we're going to look at two long stories in Scripture, relatively long, too long to put on slides that said a sentence at a time. So I want to invite you to uh, raise your hand. We'll hand you a Bible so you can follow along in your Bible or maybe look up in your phone. Um, one story will be in Acts chapter 20. And then the other story will be in Matthew chapter 14. So uh, you could start by turning to Acts chapter 20, which is on page 775 in the Red Bibles that we hand out. <clears throat> All right. Great to see you here this morning. May this be encouraging and um, challenging for us as we gather together around God's Word it's the last day of the first month of the new year, and I'm not aware of a time in my life when people have looked forward to a new year with such passion, and I don't think it was necessarily because the new year promised any kind of specific, uh, you know, uh, quality about it as much as it was people were just done with the last year, right? I think people were just sort of over with 2020, ready for that to be done. That was the trope that I heard often in the weeks around Christmas, people saying, I'm just so ready for the year to be done. I'm just so ready to move on. And um, I'm, I'm guessing that, that January 2021 felt a lot like December of 2020 to you. <laughs> At least it did to me. I'm not sure much changed of, of any real significance. And, and that's not really a surprise, right? Why would it? Why would it really change just because uh, we turn the page in a calendar or the, the, the zero changed to a one? That, that kind of expectation that, that, that the turning of a page would somehow catalyze new uh, reality is, is um, it's a faulty assumption unless, unless you use, you leverage that turning of the page intentionally. You use that as a catalyst for yourself to say, I'm going to approach this new season with new resolve. And that's what we've been preaching about the last few weeks. That's my hope. My hope is that, no, actually, Nate, January has felt different than December because I'm responding to this invitation to approach life with a new level of resolve, and yes, that we're making some, some movement forward. I hope that the sermons that we've shared in recent weeks have been helpful in that regard. I began the year with the recognition that things were not just going to instantly change just because, you know, the government was going to put things back together for us or that the school systems were just going to put it back together or the public institutions that we rely on were just going to put it back together or somebody out there, somebody else, was just going to put it back together. And instead, what I, what I hope to do is to invite us into a proactive response, a proactive response to the ongoing changes and cancellations and whatever rooted in our identity, our true identity as children of God. Reliance on all these public structures like public schools and things like that is not a bad thing. We've been built, we've built our lives around those things. We, we're, we're used to relying on these kinds of things. But in their absence, friends, we got to stop waiting for somebody to just put it all back together. And, and my conviction is that we need to kind of start to build our lives back 
on our own, right? To take initiative to put back the structures around our lives or in our lives that will fortify and nurture and, and enable us to live the lives that we are called to live as followers of Jesus or those who are intentionally pursuing him at the minimum. So what we've attempted in this series is to offer some basic building blocks for kind of building our lives back, putting our lives back together. Here's what we've talked about so far. Uh, we've talked about involving and intentionally rebuilding our life around some, some personal structures. By that, we meant routines, good habits, family rhythms, the kinds of things that kind of support what we, um, what we want to be about. Uh, another, can you put that picture up for me, Ethan? Another one is motive, right? What is the motive that is driving the things that, are, that I'm doing in my life? Is it fear or is it trust? We want to identify our motive. We want to be um, careful to consider the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I not doing what I'm not doing? Another building block is self-control. I think that 2021 is going to require a ton of self-control, just a ton of it. And what's interesting to me, like this is not, as I said a couple weeks ago, this is not a try harder exclusively kind of building block because Paul says self-control is a gift of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit. And, and then in another part of the, in the New Testament, he writes to Timothy saying, the fruit, I'm sorry, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's what I need is power, love, and self-discipline, not of my own, but I need this from God. And Paul says to Timothy, this is the spirit you were given. So it's this mystery, right? God gives us self-control. God gives us discipline. And yet clearly we participate in the building of that. So that's a building block, self-discipline or self-control. Last week, uh, Leah McKinney taught on intentional community, the work of community. I would say that is a building block for re-putting together our lives in 2020. That's something that's been pulled away from us at a massive level is community and relationships and interactions with people. Uh, we need to be intentional about building that back in. Big thanks to you, Leah, for preaching last week. So appreciate it. Leah's doing some really good writing on community and other things about Christian spiritual life. And, um, and I just really appreciate your voice and uh, your willingness to step in and preach last week. Um, it was, it's important for me to take breaks, and I always am so grateful for those who enable me to do that. So thank you, Leah. I was away with my sons camping right outside of Death Valley. We were camping in the high desert, and I wanted to put some pictures on for you. Thanks, Ethan. It was super cold. That was sort of like the fundamental reality of the weekend, low of 26 at night. It was freezing. We learned that though there's not wood in the desert, you can burn cactus. You learn these things when you're really cold. Yeah, it's like, I'll bet that'll burn. Uh, so we grabbed some sagebrush and stuff like that. We were doing rock climbing. It's this beautiful landscape um, down in, in um, the southern part of the state on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas. We took True the dog, and she suffered along with us. She's like, I'm a designer dog. Why are you bringing me to the desert? Like, why did you do this? It was not built for this. I'm so, too pretty for this. We climbed some stuff. Uh, this is a really cool rock called the shark fin, and Isaiah climbed it. My son Isaiah is 18. He's getting into this new thing called film photography. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Film photography. It's really crazy. Normally, I mean, normally you take a picture with a phone. That's what phones are for. You take pictures with them. And, uh, and it's instant. You push a button, and then it's this instant image, and you can enjoy it and send it to all your friends. 
there's this, uh, there's this new thing, which of course you know is an old thing, where there's these little cylinders of plastic, and then you, you unrind them just a little bit, you, and you try to like not wreck it and put it in this little contraption called a camera. And, uh, and then and you push a button and you take a picture and you don't see anything and you got to wait like a month before you get the picture back, right? It takes a long time. And so he's getting into this and it's been really, it's been really fun to see that creative thing um, being pursued. Um, if you know any, it used to be you could just develop film like anywhere. <clears throat> People are telling me it used to be in the parking lot booths and, you know, Costco you could develop film, Target you could develop film. If anyone knows where you can develop film, please tell me after church because we cannot find anywhere to develop film. There's online places that you can send film to, and that seems like a really good option, except when we got home from camping in, uh, it's called Alabama Hills, we went to send some film to this online film developer, and in the set, it said their website said that they were no longer receiving film due to COVID-19. And... Uh, it wasn't initially clear, like the connection wasn't initially clear to me, so I looked a little closer, and there's a r thin red banner across the top of the website that, that says that safety is their number one priority. Okay, so I, I just want to invite you to think about that for a second. It's a film development company, okay, and their number one, pri their number one priority is safety. For the film development, co development company, it's, it's safety... First, so my question is this, should it be, I mean, should it be, <laughs> Mary knows. It feels like the number one priority for a film development company should have something to do with developing film, doesn't it? Yeah, it just feels like that. I mean, call me simple-minded, but I'm just thinking that maybe, maybe safety should be a value, maybe safety should be considered. I don't know how dangerous are dark rooms, probably pretty dangerous. You got a lot of red light. It looks scary. I've never done it. Um, but I'm thinking like safety fourth, maybe safety fifth, maybe not safety first, but I'm just asking the question. And what I want to do is invite you this week as you watch, you know, sports online or on TV or you watch some shows and maybe you see some commercials, as you follow trucks and notice the stickers on the back of the trucks, as you hear speeches as you read emails that your children's school sends you, as you see signs posted at the entrance to grocery stores, pay attention to how many businesses and institutions are declaring as their number one priority safety. Safety first. And then I'm just encouraging you to ask this question. Should it be? Should it be? It feels to me like it's becoming increasingly difficult to navigate what it is a company or an organization is actually about because everybody's saying they're about the same thing. Like, what is, their, what is their focus? What is their true focus? If all websites looked like the film developing website that we tried to use last week, then it would be really hard to know who's doing what and, like, to distinguish the difference between one company to another. So I had a little bit of fun with this yesterday and put these together. So maybe, like, you're trying to buy some flour, but I don't know. Is it safety first and we also sell flowers? I mean, that's, that's how you'd have to, like, present it, right? Safety first. Safety is our top priority. And we, we also teach kids to play baseball you know, if we have time around the edges of things. Or we are committed to keeping you safe, and we also roast coffee. So well, that was really funny. <laughs> Tim told me those were three bad dad jokes, but that he appreciated them. I am almost 50, and I am a dad. We'll go with it. Friends, my, my, point, my point is absolutely not to judge people. 
It's absolutely not. That would be an inappropriate. That's not it. I'm not trying to judge others. I do want to point out, however, I do want to point out that we are all profoundly shaped by the values of our culture. We just can't help but be shaped by the values of our culture. It's the water we're swimming in. Some of our culture's values are good. Some of our culture's values are not good, right? And so I'm simply observing that as a culture, we are apparently becoming more and more concerned with safety, more and more risk-averse than we've ever been, or at least than we've been in a long time. And as with other cultural values, like freedom or the pursuit of happiness or personal comfort, or even entertainment, we who follow Christ should be careful to evaluate and consider whether the values of our culture harmonize with the values of Jesus Christ, whether the values of our culture can work with the values demonstrated and embraced by the historic Christian church. We should always be asking, is this a value that helps me love God and love people more? Or is it a value that makes loving God and loving people more more difficult? If it's a value, whoever presents it to you, if it's a value that helps you love God and love people more, I encourage you to embrace the value. If, however, it doesn't help you love God and love people more, I'd encourage you to reject that value. And, of course, I'm not advocating for reckless behavior. That's not... Uh, what I'm saying, and I'm, I'm not saying we should disregard the vulnerabilities of others. Not saying that. And of course, I'm not saying that safety isn't important or that the value of safety shouldn't be factored into important uh, decisions. I'm not saying that safety shouldn't be a concern, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray that God will keep us safe. Because if I said any of those things, I would be outside of the bounds of what the Bible says about safety. But I would also be outside of the bounds of what the Bible says about safety if I said that safety is your number one priority in all things. That would be outside of the bounds of what the Bible says about, about safety, about the topic. What should be our first priority, our top priority, our main priority? It should be our purpose. Our purpose should be our top priority. It should be purpose first. Our purpose first. The thing that we're designed to do, the thing that we're created to do, the thing that we're responsible for, the thing that we're called to, our purpose. That should be our number one priority. Not our only concern, but it should be our top priority. It should be on top. In other words, if it's my job to make breakfast for my family on Saturday mornings, then making that breakfast should be my top priority for the half hour, 45 minutes that it takes. It's not my only concern. I'm aware of other things happening. I'm making considerations and adjustments, but my top priority is making breakfast for my family. That's my purpose. My purpose is my top priority. If I'm a teacher, my top priority should be teaching, right? Not my only concern, but my top priority should be teaching. By the way, I was teaching an, an online course on Tuesday night. It was a Zoom class, a, a discussion on Zoom. And towards the end of the class, one of the participants the door in his office opens, his wife sticks her head in, he jumps out of the seat, he runs out of the room. It's very alarming looking, it's noticeable. He texts me after the close of the class that an oak tree, it was a big storm, it was Tuesday night, an oak tree, oak tree had fallen on his house, crushed his roof, branch pierces through the living room, which is terrible, it's a terrible thing. But as I drove home from this class, I just have to tell you, as I drove home from the class, I thought, how ironic 
Because one of the reasons I offered this class online was so that participants could enjoy the class in the comfort and safety of their own homes. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Listen, if I'm the crossing guard at Joiner and First over here, busy intersection in Lincoln, and my job is to help kids get across the street after school, safety is my number one concern. Clearly, that's why I'm there. That's why I'm hired or volunteering for that position. I'm, this, I'm this, the crossing guard. If I'm the safety officer at a big construction company, and it's so worth it to the company that they're going to hire somebody to ensure that things are done safely, then yes, safety is my number one priority. If I'm an auto mechanic, my job's to fix the car, right? And I'm going to consider safety. I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to throw safety to the wind, but it's not my top priority, right? My top priority is, is repairing the car. Okay, so Nate, is this a sermon or is it a rant? Um, it, it, this is a sermon because it's rooted in a pastoral um, conviction. It's rooted in my love for you as my community. It's rooted in my love for the local church. It's rooted in my love for Jesus. This is a sermon. My concern as a spiritual leader in the way of Jesus or in the tradition of Jesus is that we don't become so risk-averse that we lose sight of our purpose as Christians. Okay, I don't want to become so risk-averse that I lose sight of, of where I should be looking. Now, why am I concerned about that? Because I see it happening everywhere, friends. I just see it happening everywhere. The more people become focused on managing risk, the less focused they are on their mission. There's always some level of risk involved. In everything, there's level, some level of risk involved. And I understand that we're living in a time of heightened risk. I understand that. And I understand that the reality is that the perception of that heightened risk is real and widespread and powerful. I understand that. You can't live in the world right now and not be aware of that. But there's always some level of risk involved in what we do. Interesting passage out of Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon. Chapter 10. Whoever digs in a pit, or whoever digs a pit may fall into it. <laughs> whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Right? Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Now, Solomon's not advocating that people stop doing their work because it's risky. He's simply acknowledging that there's always some kind of risk involved, right? There's always some kind of inherent risk involved. And I'm not advocating for recklessness, nor am I saying we should throw caution to the wind. I'm saying this. One of the necessary building blocks for your life in 2021, I believe, should be purposeful risk. Purposeful risk risk. Not risk for the sake of an adrenaline rush. Not risk so you can get a really cool picture of yourself. But being so committed to your purpose that a certain level of risk is just accepted. This just goes with it. This is what will come with my pursuing this purpose with all that I am. Solomon just observes this. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Yeah, it's a risk. It shouldn't keep me from breaking through walls if that's my purpose. In 2021, it shouldn't keep me from pushing out the boundaries and breaking through walls that pop up in front of me just because it might be, there might be a snake on the other side of that, right? 
I don't want us as followers of Jesus in this world to be deterred from our purpose by the inability to achieve this ideal of complete safety. It's, it's, it doesn't exist. Is it completely safe? Of course it's not. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Nothing's completely safe. You can't sanitize life to that degree. We should order things correctly. We should prioritize first things first and fourth things fourth and fifth things fifth. That's where they belong on the priority list. Credit our executive pastor, Rich Lester. We were talking about this message this week in the office, and he had this really pithy observation. I wrote it down. He says, if you've lost purpose, you're obsessed with risk. I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of that in, in what is called leadership or leadership positions in our culture. Um, the loss of clear purpose and the obsession with risk. Are you obsessed with risk? May we be clear on our purpose. That's what we need to pray for. That's what we need to focus on. May we be clear on our purpose and may we prioritize our purpose. Two stories from the New Testament. The first is in Acts chapter 20. As I said, I'm going to read a, a longer part of the story. And so I encourage you to find it in the Bible, Acts chapter 20, or just listen. Uh, these clip right along. Here's the context. Paul, it's the end of his ministry, basically. He's, he's finished with some missionary journeys. He's returning to Jerusalem. So what? Well, everybody wants him dead in Jerusalem. The, the civic authorities want him dead in Jerusalem. The religious authorities want him dead in Jerusalem. And yet he, he feels like he's supposed to go back to Jerusalem. Here's what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. Paul says, And now compelled by the Spirit... I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life, not, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Do you hear the purpose in this man? <sighs> So then he goes on to teach, and he says, I'm not going to see any of you again. And then he continues with verse 36. Scroll down to verse 36. Now the narrator is writing. It's Luke. It's one of Paul's traveling companions, the author of Acts. And he says, when Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship after we had torn ourselves away from them. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, set sail. After sighting Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed in Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there. We stayed with them for seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Continuing in chapter 21, verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Palamus. 
where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Remember in Acts 5, they select seven deacons to care for the widows? One of them's Philip. Now he's the evangelist. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul to not go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. We said the Lord's will be done. Okay, there's so much in this passage, but this much is clear. Paul's top priority is his purpose. Clearly, everybody's trying to change his mind. Why? It's too risky. Not safe. He will not be deterred. Deterred. He's not denying the associated risks. He's willing to live with what other people see as too risky or as significant risks. Paul clearly acknowledges there are risks, but you get the sense that for Paul, they're not his main concern. They're hardly factoring into the decision. He's so profoundly focused on his purpose. He's not dissuaded by the dangers. For Paul, the real danger is failing to fulfill his purpose. That's the real danger for him. All right, here's a second and even more mysterious story. This is a story from a little bit earlier. Turn to your left, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. Gospel of Matthew chapter 14 will be in uh, verse 25 to start. This is a story that follows. Here's, what, here's the context. Jesus has just fed thousands of people from a little boy's lunch. Remember that? He multiplies his little boy's lunch, feeds thousands of people. At the end of the day... He sends his disciples to cross the lake in a boat, sends the people home, and he goes up to the mountain to pray. <clears throat> Matthew 14, it's on page 685 in the Red Bibles. Matthew 14, starting with verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then this crazy thing happens. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I mean, what, what is Peter thinking? Where does this idea even hatch in his mind? Like, it's become a normal story. We've heard it several times. But I'm thinking, how do you even conceive of this as a possibility unless you have so taken, like, to the heart, the calling to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus does, to walk where Jesus walks, to be close to Jesus even, that when you see Jesus walking on the water, what, what your heart is compelling you to do is to join him, to go where he's going, to do what he's doing. And so Peter apparently just consumed with this desire to be with Jesus says, if it's you, if it's really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water with you. Even if his request is misguided, a bit immature, as some 
propose. You got to appreciate how radically Peter is prioritizing his purpose. I mean, he's taking this seriously, right? And emotionally, as he does. Matthew 14, verse 28. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus says. And I might interject right here as a modern um, a, a protest. But, but hold on, it's, it's, what about the risks? I mean, this is not safe. Peter, this is not safe. Why are you concerned? And you would say, oh, shut up. Jesus is inviting him to walk on water. He is not considering the relative safety of this, of this exercise at this moment, right? Jesus has invited him to do something that is so unprecedented that people for the next 2,000 years are going to argue about whether it's even possible for it to have happened. Everywhere this man's story is told, oh, Peter, who walked on water, oh, my word. Of course it's not safe, and of course he doesn't care, right? What if Jesus asked you to walk on water? What if Jesus invited you to do something so unprecedented? People would argue about whether it was even possible for the next 2,000 years. People would tell the story at your funeral. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, grandchildren you'll never meet would say, yeah, my grandma, she did this once. My granddad, he did this once way back in 2021, and people would be like, is that even possible? <laughs> then, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. We always rush past this to the next one, but like, let's just sit with that. Jesus, Peter, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they climbed in the boat, and the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And just for this moment, right, this mysterious, glorious moment, Peter's purpose rose to the very top of his priority list, and he took what we might call a purposeful risk. He stepped out of the boat, though if you asked him, he probably wasn't even thinking about the risks associated with that in that moment. So compelled in that moment by the purpose and the invitation and the compelling call of Christ to join him on the water, the compelling invitation that Jesus gives him, him specifically. And for this glorious moment, glorious, why? Because Peter did something, because Peter achieved something that was so remarkable that others could only look on in awe because if it was, it was as if Peter was stepping out of the confines of earth and into the reality of heaven right before them and walking on water. And for that glorious moment, friends, Peter only, Peter knew no fear. He knew no fear, only faith. for a moment. And I wonder if you're thinking so much about the risks involved in everyday life that you are consumed by fear. 
And I wonder if you've lost sight of your purpose. And I wonder how fearful you remain, even though the thing that everybody was afraid of happening, maybe it's already happened to you. You're okay, you know. I wonder if you're imagining worst possible case scenarios all the time. And I wonder if you're living with a kind of a low-grade anxiety about what's going to happen next. To share a personal confession with you, um, I noticed while we were camping, my boys and I, actually they helped me see it, they pointed it out to me, that I was, I was reacting I was overreacting to loud noises. We're camping. We're out in the middle of the desert. And I'm overreacting. They drop a water bottle. I'm, ah! My, my responses were out of proportion to the things that were happening around me. And my boys, a couple times, they looked at me and they're like, Dad, are you okay? Yeah. And, uh, you know, all we're doing is sitting out there freezing our butts off. So we had a lot of time to talk. And... Um, so I was asking him about that, and I was thinking about it, and I, I feel like I've got this shell shock from 2020 or something, like this low-grade secondary trauma from just hearing so many examples of sadness and disappointment and cancellations and, and relational brokenness and, and all the racial division and the inability for us to try to figure that out better than, than we are, and just trying like this, I have this, like this desire to make this maybe overly inflated, out of proportion desire to make everything okay, make it okay. And I'm hyper-analyzing decisions that I'm making, and I'm over-managing possible risk factors, and I, I, I'm reading my sermons through over and over again, trying to be really careful with what I say, really careful, maybe too careful, I don't know. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? And what's your purpose? Is it risk management? Oh, my word. For me, it's to lead and love my family, and it's to lead and shepherd this church community. And to be obsessed with risk management is the failure of leadership. And, and as I work to rebuild my life and support the lives of my kids and I work to rebuild our community life with you, one of the key building blocks for me, friends, it's got to be purposeful risk. Purposeful risk. Not cavalier recklessness, not insensitivity to vulnerability, but purposeful risk. And I would invite you to consider that as you rebuild your lives and as you provide stability for your family, as you provide guidance for your children and for those who look to you for advice and wisdom, as you work to provide food and home, as you work to make a difference in the world as a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the key building blocks may be for you purposeful risk. Purposeful risk. Not risk for the sake of risk. But being so driven by your purpose so compelled forward by your purpose that you're willing to embrace the associated risks. Because for you, they're not even that risky compared to that purpose that you're chasing, right? May God help us. These are difficult waters to navigate. May God help us. Let's pray together.
Lord, give us the insight, the wisdom, the clarity to recognize the values of our culture. May we, without personal judgment, have clarity about which of these values harmonize with the gospel and which of these values hinder it, go against it. I pray for a renewed focus on our purpose, clarity, passion, and I pray for a willingness to step into situations that others may see as risky because we're being driven by a greater good, by a deeper longing to restore all things, um, to be about healing. Please give us guidance and wisdom in this regard. Help us to be like Christ, full of grace and truth at the same time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.